0: Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk.
1: Good morning, Dr. Rapici. How are you today? Good morning, Barry. I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I am well. We are here today, yet again, in the Zoom in the Zoom stream, um, and talking to our listeners, in this case, about literature. Uh, we're continuing our literary moment, uh, although we're also, in this episode, as we discussed um we're we're think going into this episode going into this conversation we think of it even though we're going to be talking about and let me name it uh philip k dick's novel 1968 novel the inspiration for the blade runner films as the title page tells me uh philip k dick's novel 1968 novel do androids dream of electric sheep the inspiration for the blade runner films which perhaps our listeners viewers as such um Friends of the podcast are familiar with. Uh, and even though we're going to be talking about PKD's book, uh, in many ways, we, uh, Michael and I, uh, in our preliminary discussion noted that uh, we also think of this book and our discussion of this book is uh, something of a part two, um, a, you know, a concluding commentary on our last podcast, which where we discussed uh, Sherry Turkle's book, Alone. What was it called? Alone Together. Alone Together.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I think that this is the way I'm looking at this is really sort of as an answer or a challenge or a what if to Turkle's argument that one of the key (laughs) distinctions between humans and robots is that humans can show emotion, whereas any robot can
1: merely mimic emotion algorithmically. And therefore, there is a higher, there is an implicit hierarchy in Turkle, right? Right. Um, or certainly, I guess at at bottom, at the in the end, rather, there is not only there's a clear hierarchy or a possible hierarchy because there's a pretty clear dividing one one or Turkle, speech, well, yeah, for Turkle. One species uh, doesn't have emotions, has the algorithm, and the other species has, emotion, has emotional subjectivity. So, I mean, is that a fair way of putting it?
0: Yeah, I think, well, that's that's how I think Turkle's understanding of the divide exists. And I think mm-hmm. that what we get with PKD is a, obviously it's science fiction, but mm-hmm. a different telling that, you know,
1: raises some interesting questions. Indeed, interesting questions. Is that not a, uh, that's almost a euphemism, is it not, Dr. Rapici, because uh, is these are interesting questions, thorny questions, and PKD sort of emphasizes, uh, I think it's fair to say that, while he emphasizes their thorniness, but maybe a better way of putting it is, while he, I think, while this novel explores the question of the human uh, android divide it leaves the questions it leaves that question pretty much unanswered and unresolved and for the the reader to sort of ponder for themselves
0: yeah you know the other thing and i think maybe it's probably
1: helpful to lay a little bit of groundwork here um yeah i want to say it, something about Literary history in PKD very quickly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so, no, but no, no, no. no. Do yours. Well, I was going to say on. the thing that I think is interesting is that,
0: you know, Turkle's argument, if you'd back up just a little mm-hmm. bit, mm-hmm. is that we have sort of a contradictory relationship with our technology. And that Indeed. is that the more heavily, so with the idea that robots cannot generate an emotional response that they are merely capable of mimicking something that right. looks like right. emotion and then the big the big sell there is for humans to accept an algorithmic representation an algorithmically an algorithmically derived representation as an authentic thing indeed right the the irony here is that the more heavily we lean into our technologies for emotional support the more divided we become the more ice not divided the more isolated we become and so you're for, in this, i mean
1: that's turkle's heart this is turkle, turkle. and yeah. so
0: mm-hmm. the the argument that she's putting forth i think is that we are essentially in a downward spiral where we become more alienated so what's the answer to alienation more technology to try and get us to accept a an inauthentic, an unauthentic Mm -hmm. um, facsimile Mm -hmm. of emotion or emotional connection. So when we get to, and I'm going to just say this and I'll let you do the history lesson for us. Um, It'll be very quick. When we get to uh, PKD and androids, we have a world that sort of picks up where Turkle imagines that we are in the sense Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have humans relying on the empathy boxes there doesn't seem to be a ton of actual interaction we have
1: between humans or among, that, yes, among humans. Yeah.
0: And, um, we have obviously a very, a society very heavily dependent mm-hmm. on,
1: um, robotic things. So right. what, what, in order, in order, uh, uh, very heavily reliant, I'm just going to fill out that right. sentence if I may heavily reliant, on robots and robotic logic, because of a pre-existing lack yes. in the human and in human relationships, and a perceived lack in human relationships. Exactly.
0: So we have a situation, and I think this is the reason why this was such an appealing topic after Turkle was it's almost as if, despite the fact that I mean, this is set. In the in the in the far off future year of our
1: lord in 2000,
0: 2020 <laughs> so um, right it's, 2020? it's 20 or twenty one I thought for some reason yeah. I thought it was 20, but but the, it the argument the 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 fact is that Turkle wrote I think Alone Together was twenty ten so it still is a futuristic uh, rendering <laughs> and we can get creative but the idea but written is, in nineteen sixty eight that right. that's right. what's, that's our point. What what's fascinating to me though is that he imagined what she saw. And you know, the thing that's interesting is that the machines are not in his in his vision in, in PKd's vision, the machines certainly are responsible mm-hmm. for doing manual labor, things that would be physically dangerous. So they certainly check the utilitarian box. Mm-hmm. But we also have very personal things, the empathy box, Mercer's religion, has been the religion of um, roboticized right, empathy right. has been roboticized. So he, he is, I think, a really
1: interesting imagined next step. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of bridge as you're pointing out to the Turkel discussion. Well, uh, do you want to, do you want to say more or? No, I'll I'm good. I think I'm, quick... I'm ready for your, 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 well, your contextual I, briefing. Do... And we'll go. Well, I'm just one going to do the briefest of nods. And I really will try to keep it brief. The briefest of nods, because we could get lost in this, but I'm going to try not to. Uh, The briefest of nods to literary history. And just to say that in this novel, and I guess we should say something, you'll do a better job of this than me, because I certainly would get digressive. We need to say something about the plot setup or the backstory for the, uh, for the particular, world, uh, futuristic world that PKD describes in do androids. But I just wanted to make a nod to literary history in particular. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about how the overall theme of this book, the overall question the novel explores, relates to PKD's other books. K., Philip K. Dick was an extremely prolific um, and wildly imaginative um, um, science fiction writer, mainly working in the 60s and 70s, but very prolific and uh, distinguished among science fiction writers for the eerily prophetic uh, nature of his futuristic visions. So his imaginations had, his imaginative tales definitely had this quality of prophecy. And there is a general problem that PKD works out over the course of his novels. And I can name a lot of novels where he's exploring this larger theme. And one way of understanding, I think kind of a necessary preamble to a discussion of Do Androids Dream of, of Electric Sheet is that it particularizes, it asks a particular question that is very clearly related to an overarching question that PKD asks and, a, and explores and investigates in a whole ton of other books. Okay, so what's the question that I think we're going to be talking about today that is posed uh, in the form of fiction, in the, the form in a narrative form. Um, this is a narrative. I'll put it another way. PKD is setting up a narrative that explores the question uh, in, in representing humans and androids and in their interactions. Uh, PKD sets up in this particular novel. Um, he explores the larger question of what makes humans different from androids? If anything, what, if anything, makes humans different from androids? And what is, is there a hierarchical relation between these two different quote unquote species? Is there, is there um, a, a difference that's not really a difference? Is, that, is there a difference that's not a true distinction? Uh, is that the point of the comparison that the novel uh, presents? Or, you know, he's worrying about this question, this category question uh, about this category. He's worrying about a fundamental category question. What is the distinction or difference, if any, between the human world, between human consciousness and android consciousness? And one last thing, Um, that's the particular question I think the novel revolves around and investigates. And I just wanted to mention that um, PKD's incredibly Influential question. Um, this is related to a question or a topic that animates um, so many more, uh, so much of his fiction. And that larger question, uh, I, I would, I would try to summarize it this way: It's the question. Of, it's a philosophical question of what constitutes the real. Um, and what is the distinction between the real and the simulation, the real and an imitation, the re- authentic and its mimicry? Mm-hmm. So that's the larger. So another, we were talking about this before the show. So this um, before the before our recording, PKD, uh, PKD's novel, of course, is the precursor, is the prototype for the uh, uh, for the Ridley Scott film uh, Blade Runner. But in many ways, PKD's work on the whole offers the template for what had become what has become in its own subgenre of sci-fi kind of dystopian fiction that it it really it's it's the plot of The Matrix as well. The narrative form of The Matrix as well, which is uh, a narrative form that has almost colonized, right, is almost taken over. Uh, science fiction, so that Mm -hmm. most of our science fiction stories has this particular form. It has the form of a dystopian vision of society, number one. Um, And also it's exploring, as The Matrix does, it's exploring the general philosophical question yet again, of the nature of reality as opposed to unreality or artifice or simulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, the abiding question of The Matrix. And we have another version of that question explored in this particular novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Right. No, I think that's good. And so maybe those are the questions we should try and chase down a little bit. And so- Okay, Michael, because you'll do this a lot better than- any- I I tried to be brief and I what did I eat up? 10 minutes, 15 minutes? I don't know. But several minutes. So I know you'll do a better job of this. Time. We, I think before we go into the discussion and try to answer these questions, we need to and you were doing I'm looking to you to do this because you were already doing it in our pre-taping. Um, you were you were giving a very good rundown, a very concise background of like the world of this novel. Like, yeah, what sets, what's the setup for so, this novel?
0: I'll try. I think that we can merge the two together into a discussion, though, so that I don't have to yammer on. That's so even better.
1: That's even better.
0: The first question that PKD is dealing with, the primary question here, right, is what's mm-hmm. the difference between human and the robotic, right? The the, the the android and the human. The human and the robot. Yeah. And so to take a quick step back, right, Turkle says that's simple. That's the ability to genuinely, authentically emote. Right, and so this notion of authenticity or what's genuine, what's real, what's a, a facsimile of this—that's lurking here in this discussion as well. So the basic version of the story mm-hmm. is: you've got a post-apocalyptic We've had a nuclear war. war. We've had an, There has been we a ha- world have war. An,
1: yeah, and we right? have a radiation infested
0: And okay. and the results of that war are this toxic dust and as a right. result of this global toxic dust set in san francisco right but this is a right. global issue um much of the population has emigrated to mars right and the
1: interestingly enough can i just add something to that yeah. a little detail to that that tells you uh that may be really kind of prescient and is kind of crypto fascist or sort of i think dick is sort of um um implying the crypto-fascist nature of the world, the society that he represents. One of the reasons for the Mars colonization, did you catch this? One of the reasons for the Mars colonization, one of the reasons why humans are encouraged by the government to go to Mars is to maintain the purity of the human strain, right? Because of the- true, yeah,
0: with the the,
1: the derogatory, the chicken heads. Right, so in- Right. Exactly. So there is a not so crypto, I was about to say crypto fascist, but not really really. even very crypto. There's a kind of concern about. So already in isolating the human and encouraging human migration, it has to be a a pure human that it's going to. Yes. And that it's all about enabling the continued existence of the purely pure human, human. as opposed to that chicken head. Right. And and the derogatory term that's meant to. Uh, denigrate them that's... denigrate mentally mentally disabled folk right right so what's but but listen to chicken head chicken head what what also is significant about that right it blurs the the lines between what human and animals and animals play a special role in this world as, as we'll talk yeah. about and go ahead
0: yeah. yeah no so that's so the emigration to mars right is right. limited not everybody can do it if you no. are in any way affected and to leave, you have to be tested to leave to pass cool. this purity test, right? Right, um, right? So we have a character, uh, Isidore, J.R. Isidore, who is not able to leave. So right. what happens is you people emigrate to Mars um, where they have a better, cleaner, purer, easier life. And so the work that's done on Mars. Except that it's still hard. It's and very can... hard because, again, because it's not – natural or real in terms of what we have here so the androids there's this android industry right where they do the physical labor that humans would be unable to undertake on mars but they also perform a series of service roles as well so it's like you get the tractor and the butler all in one And the problem is that
1: (laughs) that's that's very good. That's exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm You're The vacuum cleaner and you're also the caretaker. That's exactly it. It's all Um, good.
0: So the problem is every so often a number of these androids will rebel and in rebelling, they will kill their human overlords and then try and sneak back to earth. And that then introduces our uh, protagonist Decker, um, who is a police... Decker
1: who is who is a he's bounty a bounty hunter, hunter
0: right? who doesn't officially exist, right? Like the bounty hunters don't officially right. exist right. because androids don't officially exist on Earth. Mm-hmm. So he's sort of this shadow character who hunts down and retires or kills any androids that are able to escape Mars and come back. Mm -hmm. And so the basic argument here is that these are machines, the androids are machines that are self-aware. They know that what they've done is against the law on Mars. And so they flee and they are seeking survival here. And so the question about What's real and what's not at this point is still fairly cleanly divided, right? Mm-hmm. These are machines that know that they have killed a other, the mm-hmm. human, and they are running from that to live here. So basically, to this point, if we stop the story here, mm-hmm. I think that you know, PKD and uh Turkle are still compatible in the mm-hmm. sense that there's been no sort of challenge to he hasn't issued anything that challenges what she says but then what's interesting is that you see the androids sort of working together for their survival right um which could you could argue is sort of some sort of mathematic probabilistic uh, uh, conclusion like we're better together than we are separately um i want to start the discussion here with mm-hmm. a scene from the story where, so the, the 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 book starts. Decker has been he's the second yes. in he's he's the second ranking bounty hunter. The mm-hmm. first bounty hunter was tasked with retiring six new versions of androids, right. and one almost gets him, and so right. he's in the hospital, and he's not coming out anytime soon. So the the job falls to Decker, and the first. Thing he does is he flies from seattle or excuse me from san francisco to seattle to meet with the makers or the manufacturers of the new new new, androids the new android line and he meets rachel Mm -hmm. and the very first thing that happens i'm just going to spoil it for everybody so hit mute real quick if you don't know the story go read the story watch the movie come back rachel is an android And Mm -hmm. she is put in front of him to see if he can distinguish her from a functioning, from a human. And it nearly happens, right? So Mm -hmm. this question, I like. Well, he
1: administers the test. Are you going to talk about that? Okay. So yeah,
0: that's, that's the last thing I was listening. So the way that the bounty hunters are able to distinguish Mm -hmm. between human and android Mm -hmm. is that. Like Turkle, who says that the distinction is uh, emotionally based, that machines can't um, emote. There's an oral test. There is an oral test that measures the emotional quality or content of the recipient. And the way that androids are found out is that they do not have a human appropriate response.
1: And And by human appropriate, you mean, as you've been implying, emotional, affective. Correct. Correct. So. that
0: Right. So in. Earlier versions, with the more primitive versions of the Android, it was very easy to tell. Very easy. You say something like, "Hey, we're having uh, a lunch of boiled dog or something," and a
1: human would, you say, rear would back say, "I don't am boiled dog. That's right. crazy. I know I'm a human because I don't like boiled dog." But with the new form of AI, all of a sudden, what? All of a sudden, they seem to be able to. It, it, this is something that maybe isn't isn't very clear in the book, or at least not clear to me. What is it? This new AI? Did they learn to be more devious? Well, so here's the question, or and more this, more able to conceal their motives. So let me what let me that?
0: let me because no, I think that the answer is more contextual, and I think it's a mm-hmm. context that speaks to Turkle, and so maybe this is the first step, right? Okay. Decker asks Rachel a series of questions mm-hmm. and they are they range from everything to what is sexually appropriate mm-hmm. to what is socially appropriate mm-hmm. to what would be what just like a humane response to a things humane response to things right and she does not pass the test with flying colors and he questions her about some of her responses but her answer is that I wasn't born here right that she was mm-hmm. supposed to be on, she, she, she was the result of a very long trip that had to come back. And so her reason for not crushing the empathy test, for passing it with flying colors, mm-hmm. is not so much that she's a perfectly function that she's a machine who's now able to create an an, an empathetic response. It's that she's masquerading as a human who was never given traditional human context
1: in which to operate oh interesting yeah and so already dick is blurring that line yeah between the human and and the android so but they
0: come to different responses here right like turkle's argument about this was that we're so reliant on technologies Mm -hmm. that we don't learn it's no longer natural for us to engage interpersonally Mm -hmm. that there's always this mediated thing or mediating thing Mm -hmm. and as a result of its lack of humanity we lose our lack of humanity
1: Um, we we, yeah we lose our
0: but 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 it makes things more efficient it makes things faster and easier so we lean into it more dick is arguing now that hey humanity has reached this point where we are alienated and that alienation isn't so much the so the result of that alienation isn't so much a situation where the androids are now more able to be human it's that we have a context where humans are less able
1: oh yeah right human. right it's a great point
0: and so point. that that's sort of a reverse blurring of the lines but
1: um that's yeah. a great point i i i let me, let me just linger on the test that's a that's a great point um and that, and, and that does, definitely PKD is a sort of approaching the human android dyad, I won't say binary, because he's, he's trying to figure out the two things. He's not trying to make a, you know, hierarchical distinction between the two things. He's trying to inquire into the ontology of both of the categories, each of the categories. Uh, but let me add something, let me linger a little bit on the test that you were mentioning. I think one of the things that we have, we're, we're at the very beginning of the novel, really proper, um, we have this extended scene of interrogation, uh, where Rachel, uh, where Deckard is interrogating Rachel, trying to figure out, trying to prove, trying to establish her humanity or lack of it. And I think that a couple things are shown to the reader and that Dick is trying to indicate a couple things to the reader, in this extensive scene. I'm going to say a couple of things and you tell me whether you agree. So one of the things I think he's showing is the stakes of having a test. And I think this speaks to what you were saying, Michael, about the the new spiritual state of humanity in this novel. Here's kind of this tag, whether or not this test works, uh, the test that proves without a shadow of a doubt that androids are androids um, the stakes for this are very high I mean, i'll try to enumerate some of the stakes one of the stakes is this murder well uh yeah. yes murder but not simply murder i mean or rather it's related to that it's a distinction between murder and killing and yes. let me see if i let me see if i can um let me let me go back just a second and See if I can make this plain to myself and to others. Um, so what seems to be at stake in the test? I think a lot of it. And and the test, I think one of the reasons why we link why PKD lingers on the test and kind of uses the test to establish Deckard's worldview and the world, the dominant worldview in this particular society is because everything really depends on the test. So The test is ideologically really important because the stakes couldn't be higher. If you, you it, this test, it, if the test is valid, you live in a morally unambiguous world, and that's what these characters, because they they're not able really, we're not shown that they are able to deal with moral complexity at all. Right? There seems to be a devol deevolution of consciousness in that state. So the test is really important because uh, one of the one of the important things of knowing for sure that the Android is an Android is that it allows you a good conscience to kill the Android. So that the killing uh, I stumbled when you mentioned the word murder because really that's at stake in the test. If you're killing an Android it's not murder. In fact it's not even killing. It's, deactivation. It's, it's, a it's te- deactivation. it's retiring. It's a technical, formal, bureaucratic process. Right. So the test is ideologically really, really crucial, because if the test is falsifiable, then you have to make a life or death decision. If the test is re- if you can rely on the test, you live in a morally unambiguous world. Uh, a clear black and white world where you can just do your duty and not have to engage your brain because you're not murdering anything. You're not even killing anything. You're just deactivating slash retiring a device. But the failure of the test, so much hinges on the failure of the test or the possible potential failure of the test and the potential development of a new line of AI. What's at stake? Well, all of a sudden you have to have a conscious. All of a sudden, in fact, that's basically the process that we see that Deckard Andrew is into. He is given, he has to be, he becomes a person who I'm not saying he does the right thing or he's a moral exemplar. I think PKD suggests that he's not a moral exemplar. But nonetheless, beginning with this scene, uh, Rick Deckard, I almost called him RKD, that's not right. Um, Deckard has to wrestle with... uh, Wrestles with his emerging conscious. He has a he has a developing moral conscious. And he starts to qualms and ambiguous feelings and contradictory feelings, which freak him the F out, right? He doesn't want to have that. Again, this test matters a lot because if the test is real, if we can rely on it, then we're not committing. We're not killing anything. We're deactivating things. And Deckard is really nostalgic for that world. But PKD is forcing him to understand that maybe it's not as damn simple as he wants to believe. And as the rest of society, the rest of this particular world wants to believe that perhaps when you're deactivating an android, you're killing Mm -hmm. someone or something or some being. So... Can be huger stakes. So, in other words, I, I, we, we've been talking about Dick wrestling with the the larger question of the real, what's real and what simulation. Here, that question has real, very real stakes. In that, the being unable to distinguish the difference between the android, uh, the robotic, and the human means that humans now become murderers instead of. Technical functionaries instead of bounty hunters who are doing bloodless work, they have blood on their hands. Or they potentially have blood on their hands. Well, that's so all of a sudden we have the introduction of ethics and ethical choice making in deckard's life and in the world of this novel.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think that you know, he starts us out there with this idea that this is a truly the highest stakes, right? But It's interesting because this search for certainty comes down to something that is still, in essence, mathematically determined, right? Like each answer gets scored a number. So to me, I I think, and I kind of want to do, I think maybe the best way of looking at this, because I don't think it's in our best interest to try and recount every instance of this, just a quick gloss of the way this works, right? Like, if you think about what are the human constructs, what do we have that manifests what it is to be human in the world, okay? So we have art, right? We have music. We have love, sex, right? The ability to empathize. These are the places where he places the androids, right? So the story right. goes that there are six androids that come that, that, that have come to earth, right? Uh, the first one... Uh, that Deckard retires is masquerading as a police officer right mm-hmm. we have a second character Law,
1: a human Law. institution right Law. no I like what you're doing let's take it off so so Law. we have we have so one we have an Android we have who is a a wonderful who, police enforcer right right yeah but at the same
0: time we have a second probably maybe human maybe Android who is who saves Deckard's life from another android who may or may not be an android and admits to as much i don't think i am but maybe i am so that 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 essential question of what am i you right. you hear um out of this the one of the androids that they retire is an opera singer right and they realm get her
1: culture representing let, let's fill it out representing yes. the realm of culture right. and art so, which is supremely human
0: right now she knows she's an android she knows it And she's a great artist. What is She is a renowned musician, an opera singer, Singer. and they apprehend her and ultimately retire her in a museum after buying
1: her a book of art. In fact, she's killed. This is very important. She's killed in cold blood. Yes. Yes. She's not given the test. No,
0: no. She is, by any account, she is killed, not deactivated.
1: She She is not deactivated. She is killed
0: then you have the and interest Deckard
1: sees this yeah Deckard doesn't do it but he sees
0: this well and the other interesting thing to note just to for you know to, to to pick up the fragments of these arguments in situations where an android is retired they run a bone marrow test right right so it is not an electronic diagnostic here it is a
1: surgical procedure right and so he's blurring and, and these lines add, and adding add, and and dick at every point, I mean, what you're pointing out is that Dick at every point adds a layer of complexity. I wanted to add this to the bone marrow test. Here's the thing about the bone marrow test. That'll give you definitive results. But in doing so, you're going to kill whatever it is. If it's a human or an Android, it's likely the bone marrow test that could definitively prove it is probably going to kill them regardless of what you're doing. So there is that there is a reluctance to do the test uh, so, because you, they're reluctant to administer this particular test that could actually prove without a doubt um, the ontology of the being they're investigating, um, and therefore, so but, but it's a pro, it's often a test too far. So they're forced to rely on a test that gives uncertain results. And so, like it or not, Deckard has to live with the full moral force of this. You know, he has to live and do his work in this morally gray ambiguous right. territory yeah. so
0: then we move to the rest of- so the other three uh huddled t- so the story right like uh deckard's uh superior got one mm-hmm. uh paul cough was the cop was number two uh mm-hmm. the opera singer was number three so the other three androids you know huddled together right well mm-hmm. what happens is one of the uh so-called chicken heads a human
1: mm-hmm. right
0: uh Falls, you know, develops an emotional attachment. You could argue falls in love sort of with one of these androids who oddly enough is the exact same model as the Rachel character. So
1: in a way, uh, Isidore and Deckard are in love with an android. Absolutely. With the same right. android even. With, with in the, a way. With exactly. Different,
0: android. different imprints of the same different android. Different
1: the same android.
0: Deckard goes so far as to break the law. And sleeps with Rachel, right? So you have actual, and this is something that 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 you know in in Alone Together, that Turkle argues is just a step too far. You can't be, you can't be sleeping with the robots. But here we see it, and there's not really, I I, I mean, correct me if you tell me if you have a different read here, but Deckard doesn't really have the emotional ethical. Wandry problem riddle like there's no hurdle for him to clear with that no yeah. and there is no there is no scene there, there is no there is no relation with his wife there's not even really a hint that this is important to him with his human wife so you know we've got this question of emotional attachment that maybe extends to beyond you know uh, uh sort of affection into the boundaries of love with Isidore. Um, you certainly cross the line into physical interaction, sex with Deckard. And then the last thing, which I find interesting here, is that morality is, I mean, moral, morality, religion, excuse me, let me, religion is something that is essentially mechanized.
1: With Mercer enabled through the empathy box, which and allows the participants to have this mystical vision of Mercer being, who seems to be a, a character. We see Mercer trying to climb a mountain, and they're in the middle of a avalanche, of right. rocks, and um, and 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 the uh, viewer of this simulation, the participant in this simulation, um, experiences vicariously a sympathy with the suffering of Mercer.
0: Right. Uh, so, but all of your emotional connections are mediated.
1: Being prompted by a technical device. And
0: device. determined, manipulated yeah. in such yeah. a way that you can, you know, like uh, the, the, the book starts when, when Deckard's leaving the house. He says to his wife, oh, you shouldn't be dialing in despair. You should be dialing up, you know, a different right. sort of a worldview for the day. And so I, I think that what, what you know what PKD is doing is really going to great lengths to say, look, all of your human cons, all of the things that are the the, the markers of sort of consciousness right. and humanity, what it means to be, the, what is at the core of, of, of the human experience, all run through circuitry. I mean, this is all, this, this is all roboticized um, and all of the things that we tend to look at and say, well, these are, clearly androids these the, these are the machines this is the work of machines all have the hallmarks like the that they are inscribed with human characteristics so i almost feel like pkd's response to turkle is like yeah i see where you're going i see where you want to go with this stark division
1: but we but can't those divisions it. aren't there if we can well, and, and and more more lot moreover um he yeah well uh, you put it well he understands, PKD understands the need to do what Turkle does to find and uh, uh, articulate a clear dividing line between the humans and the androids. But what the novel does, and you just mentioned like tons of plot points, and we could be here all day adding plot points, but these plot points all contribute, all all work to the similar effect. They all break down and they all in, in, encourage the reader to be skeptical of these moments when the characters or or uh, events seem to suggest, aha, we found it. This is the dividing line. This is what distinguishes a human from an android. We can now proceed in a clear, unambiguous territory with clear unambiguous knowledge that we have marked the difference or distinction between the human and the android so i have a question and, for you I, yes. I have a question
0: for you because i i think that this is in in a way all preamble to a very specific point we talked about this uh, hmm. earlier before we started recording um we haven't mentioned at all the electric sheep or the importance of animals hmm. right hmm. so these are um this this is central, I think, and I think there's one scene in particular that that we need to try and figure out what sort of the what's going on. So it. Deckard has an electric sheep. Deckard Deckard has an electric sheep to start the story, right? And his neighbor has sort of horse.
1: I think so. Right. That's real. Plot point is the plot point is uh, eluding uh, me, but it sounds right
0: right and, and so and so deckard is very jealous of this and the the, the ownership of an animal I think is both a it, it, it's about status right very and much so authenticity class. is obviously a, an elevated status right but it's also supposed to provide
1: some sort well, Mike I I think I have to interrupt you just to do yeah. one bit of plot setup that I don't think you and you know I don't know this is an so much a spoiler as spoiler is a necessary part of the plot setup. One of the reasons why animals can be a status symbol is because most of them died off in the war yes. and the problem of radiation. So that's created a problem of scarcity. Yes. That's the background in which all the things that you're about to talk about make sense. Right. So Sorry. In this idea, no, no, no. I'm just, just wanting to set that up because now that's going to give the necessary resonance to what you're talking about.
0: So possession you know these animals are status symbols but there's also in that status sort of an emotional
1: construct at play here right um and so prove your you prove yeah it isn't just class status it's also you prove your humanity in a word by being able to care for and connect with this thing so you have an
0: interesting situation deckard has a sheep which almost disgusts him in the sense it matters but he's disappointed in it right because it's not real electric his, his neighbors got I'm a not horse.
1: really caring for an animal i'm caring for a simulacra that doesn't
0: count no this is keeping up with the Joneses. this is all it is he's right, playing his part right, right. and then so there's that deckard or excuse me Isidore, that chicken head who befriends the androids
1: right
0: realizes their androids doesn't care so for him the distinction between he does not have an animal but he works as a technician for a fake animal hospital that will come and get your fake animal and bring it to the hospital and do repairs on it all under the guise of being authentic. He ends up picking up a real cat that is sick. Can't distinguish between the real cat and a mechanical cat. Um, And so the cat dies. That's neither here nor there, I think, for where I'm going with this. The, the, The point is, Deckard... After retiring a number of the androids, gets realizes he's going to have a pretty substantial payday for the bounties. Yeah. I can buys, afford a real animal now, and he buys a <laughs> goat. And this is this is this is big time. He's got a real live goat, right? And so he gets it. He brings it home. I'm just going to spoil it for everybody while he's off retiring the last three androids. After having sex with Rachel, while he's gone, Rachel comes to his apartment and pushes the goat off the building, killing the goat. And that leaves us with this giant, what in the hell is that about moment? Because I think that is really that moment, that scene is really, what's that?
1: Why does Rachel kill the goat? Why
0: Why would Rachel do such a thing? Why would you push a goat off? Because there's a couple different reads for it, but they all are really leaning into her being a creature with feelings. You know, she's a jealous, jilted lover. She's angry that her friends have been retired. Um, there, there's a number of ways to read this. And I'm, I'm curious as to how you, like, how, how do you, how do you look at this?
1: Well, uh, as you know, I kind of struggled with this passage because it seemed as if it was as as if PKD was sort of tipping the balance. In the rest of the novel, he seemed to be suggesting it's really hard, in fact, impossible, um, to truly distinguish, truly do, truly accomplish what Decker desperately strives to do, which is find out, find a way. To distinguish between the human and the android, so uh, he can just go about and make some money and do his work without qualms of conscience. So throughout the novel, there is a sense that, well, you know, uh, maybe it isn't as simple. This this idea that well, androids don't have empathy, humans do. So by by process of observation or elimination, we can figure out who has empathy and who doesn't, and therefore we can distinguish between the species. Dick is always complicating that. You mentioned uh, the opera singer, uh, and that that's a perfect example of that. Here's somebody who is able to, who through her art is able to move other humans. Deckard is a fan of the opera singer, we're told. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have an android who is able to move the consciousness or move the emotions of humans. So at every point when we think, okay, you know, androids shouldn't be able to do that. At every point, Dick seems to be complicating, you know, making it difficult for us to distinguish between the human and the android. In this moment, and one of the reasons, as I told you, that this scene troubled me, uh, troubles me, this passage, that you reference Rachel uh, acting out of revenge and killing uh, Deckard's goat, um, it troubled me because it seemed to suggest, ah, uh, this okay, he's tipping the balance here. PKD is tipping the balance here. Turns out androids don't have empathy at all. But then on you you help me with this on on further reflection, upon reflection. I realized that uh, this yet again, this episode, I think, yet again, um, it is true to the, the formula of the book, the dynamic of the book, and that it shows you that androids are incredibly human and that they have an emotional affective response that sometimes doesn't look like caretaking or artistic or, you know, artistic creativity, but it is Human or a simulacra of the human, nonetheless, in that, uh, you know, in that there's an account, she seems to be acting out of, as you suggest, um, uh, her actions seem to be emotionally motivated, as you were suggesting. Right. She seems to be acting out of friendship, comrade, uh, sisterly feeling for her fallen comrades or out of feeling jilted and used by humans, not just Deckard. We're also told that Rachel was programmed to sleep with uh, humans and, and sort of seduce um, bounty hunters. Uh, so And distract them from doing their work. So it seems like she's going against her programming in a very human way. So yet again, this episode, I think hues to the, the other episodes or, or sort of reinforces the lesson of the other episodes, I think um that it's difficult in fact impossible to really distinguish between humans and androids when viewed as an you know when viewed through the by using the emotional litmus test. right
0: so i have a a question and maybe this is sort of the the off-ramp from this discussion here but when we started out today you had mentioned that uh pkd is dealing with two Central questions, right? One being where's the dividing line between the human and the machine? Mm-hmm. And two, what is real, right and and what and what constitutes the real? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm thinking about the, um the scene here with the opera singer mm-hmm. um, and the fact that, she was able to create or i guess as a singer reproduce um art that was affective that moved people that that had um that power and you think about what happens with rachel you know being programmed to uh, seduce bounty hunters right? A mm-hmm. machine seducing humans. The ability to, you know, what I, I guess in order for her to be able to do that, she has to mm-hmm. produce something that a human is going to respond to, right? Mm-hmm. In order for the opera singer to be successful, and we know that she is a world famous opera singer, she has to be successful. Luba Left,
1: we'll give her a name. Luba Left, thank Luba you. Left. So
0: I guess the question that I have is, you know, what's the value... To go back, Turkle says that any sort of anything that looks like emotion is algorithmically generated. And mm-hmm. it is only emotional insofar as humans are willing to fool themselves. And here we have a number of instances littered throughout the book, scattered throughout the book, where the androids display profoundly compelling versions of, of humanity. Of, of human humanity. Emotion, That's right. that uh, humanity is a good word there. So that that are real in the sense that they either fool us or we allow ourselves to be fooled, us being humans. Um what's the value of the real? I mean, are we I, I think about that scene in The Matrix where the guy is eating the steak in the restaurant mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and he says, I don't care if the mm-hmm. steak is real. I don't care that this is uh part of a program. It mm-hmm. tastes real. It feels real. Mm-hmm. And when I live in the real, that is that cramped ship and the, you know, just the situation of what real humanity looks like. I'm totally happy with this simulation. I, I, I look at this and I'm wondering what is, what is the value of the real? Because to me, Turkle seems really hung up on this, and PKD's response is sort of like you're 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 going to burn yourself out and run yourself into the ground, and all you're doing essentially is denying yourself the experience of the real.
1: Hmm. Well, I'd put it a little bit different way, but I think you're. I I think we are at the point where we can take the off ramp and and the end the episode because I think after I think we've described uh the plot events and what the plot it and what phil, ph- philosophical conclusion uh I think PKd wants us to reach by by working through the plot events of the novel um and so I I think we're right to say what is what does PK do you know this is a good point to ask what does PK do what is pkd's response in a way to Turkle's idea that and and so I uh, do you want me to take an? I don't. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if I yeah. can directly answer. Maybe in the process, I'll directly answer your question about the value of the real. Um, but I, I'll. But I'll try to answer your question in a. Uh, at it, coming at it from a slight tangent, um, because I think you are asking. And I'll try to answer the question. Rather start again. I'll try to answer the question in relation, and and bring Turkle into the answer to that question. Okay. But Turkle seems very confident in a a word or two or a sentence or two, try and keep this limited. Turkle seems confident or at least hopeful that in the time of crisis for humanity. And the crisis, as you are already suggesting, the crisis for humanity is at the cross for Turkle is that with the introduction of AI, the introduction of AI is happening in a moment in human society when human relationships are already in danger because of our reliance on mediation. Nonetheless, Turkle is hopeful that humans can rally and recover their emotional metal or emotional resources and It's important for Turkle that humans do so because what's at stake, uh, because finally in the last analysis, AI doesn't have emotions. And so, but humans are powerfully emotional and effective and have an effective core. And so we need to find and recover however we can do so. And she's hopeful we can that we can find ways of reestablishing say direct communicate maybe through by by reasserting modes of direct communication between humans we can sort of tap into our so far underutilized dangerously underutilized capacities for emotional for bonding for for communal bonding and she's very optimistic about it and she's also optimistic that at core Yes, you can scratch. Yes, you can scratch the itch. Yes, you can obfuscate the question. But there is a core difference between humans and androids, humans and AI, and it relies in the emotional. And I think PKD, in at every turn, in every respect, um, is anticipating this kind of binary choice or humanity's dilemma, and saying at every point, the more you want to solve the problem. And find a definitive answer for this question, the harder that question is going to be, the more you're going to actually muddy out the end. You're not going to find a solution just because you want or desperately desire a solution. The problem is always going to be money uh, It's always going to be a fine line and a question of ambiguity. And in fact, finally indeterminate, unable to determine the distinction between the human and the android. I think that's where PKD comes in.
0: I agree. I want to add one thing to it. Cause I think you just, I think you hit it. It's almost as if he's looking at this idea of empathy or emotion and saying, wow, this is such an incredibly fragile, indeterminate malleable, because malleable as because it well. is, because yeah. if you think about it, right, if you take the empathy test, if you ask enough questions, you're going to you show can,
1: that you don't have
0: enough, but you yeah, you, you're going to screw it up eventually. You're, you're going to give up. the wrong right. answer. Right. right. But right. we also see this idea, you know, if you go back to, and this is maybe, no, I think this is right. Think about Clara and the sun again, right? There's that question of can you map Josie's heart? And she's like, wow, it's complicated, but with enough time. Yeah. I can map Josie's heart. I can be the emotion. I I can be the the emotional equivalent of this human being. That it can be done. And if you think about, uh, you know, the the character of Rachel in this story, right? In the right context, you will get something that is. I, I think I don't know that we can pin down what the emotional response is, but killing that goat is
1: an emotional response. Is it, yeah, it, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I, to, I, you very nicely said what I was trying to say earlier that whatever whatever seems to be the motivation, it does seem to tie back to this idea of an emotional core of the android. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Well, well, Michael. One more. Well, no, I, I fell. Like I interrupted you. Well, no, no, off, no. I, like I,
0: I, I was, I was, I, I think what I was just trying to say, uh, and I, I think it's been said now, is that Turkle draws this line, like, hey, we can't do this, right? right? That that we got to go never back. be. A... We got to recover. We got to recover something. But I think that here. I yeah. think that what Dick is saying is that a lot of this is contextual. A lot of this is good. The very nature of emotion is how do I want to say it? The, 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 idea, the, 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 nature of emotion, I think is maybe, maybe the best way of saying it is it's, it's, it's a reciprocal, it's an interaction. Very good. And, Absolutely. And that, Absolutely. that, that, that the results of this interaction are always going to be unique to the interaction. And because you are Wonderful in fact points. interacting with these machines, Wonderful point. The the distinction between what's the, the you know, what's real and what's not, is 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 virtually impossible. Right, 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 right.
1: Okay, I I think I I think we have reached closure. Allow me, and I, I promise I won't take too long. I promise. I always say this, but I promise I won't take too long. I I just wanted to linger just one more moment or two with PKD. Sure, sort of draw another line. Um. Okay, I I think we've addressed, I I especially love your last point. I think we've addressed PKD's response, so to speak, to Turkle's problem and solution, uh, to the problems and solutions that Turkle was offering and raising and offering in a loan together. I wanted to linger as sort of in a closing remark about PKD. So what we've been saying throughout this episode is that PKD kind of retains a core skepticism that basically he's always asking this question. And I think encouraging, always asking the question of, how can we determine the difference? How can we determine, how can we define the human? And at every point in the novel, I think we've been saying, uh, he encourages the reader to be skeptical and open-minded Uh, about achieving a definitive answer and to resist finding a definitive answer, a definitive set of criteria that would allow us, no matter how much we strive or urge, or no matter our urgency, no no matter our felt need for finding this criteria, I think PKD is offering us the uncomfortable lesson that, you know, We may want to find that dividing line. We may want to find the magic test that's going to determine who's human and who's not. But we need to resist that tendency. So um, I think that's kind of the upshot. We've been saying that's the upshot of the book. I wanted to close by saying, um, okay, you know, skeptical philosophy, there's always the, the question that skeptical philosophy offers, which is, yeah, well, you're just telling me to stay unresolved, living in this unresolved things? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I, I know you're telling me it's difficult to intellectually determine, but that's not very helpful. Um, I can imagine a reader saying, I don't want to be skeptical, PKD. I want to be like Sherry Turkle, or I want to be somebody else. I want to have an answer. What's the answer to this question you're posing? It's a good question. Thank you, PKD, for articulating it. What's the F and answer? I need to know because I need to know what am I gonna do? I'm facing AI right now. I'm I'm forced to use AI in my work. There are all these urgencies that make us want to have an answer Mm -hmm. and not be comfortable with the skeptical, well, how do we know? How can we ever know? I would just say in conclusion that the skeptical position that PKD is articulating, I think there is an ethics Behind it, it is. He's not just saying, "Well, we'll never know." Let's fold up our hands and 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 bracket off the question indefinitely. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think that's the purpose of this skeptical, of his skeptical take, or of encouraging us to be skeptical about finding definitive answers. I think his purpose is to keep us questioning and open ended. So, in other words, the right way to answer the question of. Is Dr. Rapici human? Is Dr. Falk human? The question is, the, the, the proper question, the proper answer to that question is not, well, I don't know if Dr. Rapici is human, but I'm working on a test uh-huh. that's going to establish it to me and to all the rest of humanity for once and all. Okay. I think the skeptical answer that PKD is positing to that question of, how can I determine whether Dr. Rapici is human? is that uh, you wait and see, you wait, you wait, you defer judgment, you defer judgment that we have to prove that we're human, but then we have to allow each other space to prove our humanity, because that's all we can do. That's all we're doing every day is we're proving whether or not we're human. At any point in the process, if I asked you, or I'll ask me since I don't want to, Oh, no, 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 no. My
0: hypothetical students. Stu- there are a lot of students who wonder <laughs> this question.
1: Well, I'm just saying that at no point can we prove our humanity. All we can do is act as if we're human. That's all anything or anyone can do is act toward a, a kind of humanity. I think the the philosophical answer to the question of can you determine criteria? The answer is no, you can't determine any intellectual valid criteria, but that doesn't mean, I don't think Piquita is saying, let's fold our hands. I think he's saying, we need to defer that question. We need to wait and see, and and more important, we need to prove our ontology by what we do,
0: right? So the, the, the logical question that follows from this then, there's two, one, is then humanity, simply performative? Or does the answer to that lie? I think he, I think he can, well. Right. And then the second yeah. one yeah, is, is the answer to this something that you could then just mm-hmm. wait out? Right. So for example, in the book, the Androids have a lifespan of what? Four years. Yeah. So you can literally wait the machine you out could. and say, Oh, I you waited could. long enough. You
1: You could. And that's not an option. That's never part of the horizon of expectation in this novel. That's not part of the conversation. No, because people want definitive answers. And they want to act on it because it's politically motivated. Sure. So so uh, in the world of the novel, the answer to that question is no. But it but just because the answer is no in this particular world doesn't mean that that is the absolute correct answer. It just means that in this particular obviously troubled and problematic society. They don't allow this kind of opening. There there's no room for this kind of open-ended exploration. I don't think that invalidates the question.
0: No, but it's it's troubling because in the search for humanity, yeah, if you ask enough questions, you're gonna screw it up. You're gonna prove right, right, yourself right, right, right. non-human.
1: But but then that that means that we're always under investigation we're always right. we should always be trying to administer that i think this is Piketty's we should always be asking ourselves this and at certain points we're going to realize that we're failing the test okay okay well I, i'm i'm I, anyway i i'm just i mean it's to, not it's i'm it's, trying to i'm not trying to offer a definitive reading for you or for me but I am saying, you know, no, I'm but trying that last to answer bit, the resistance, yeah,
0: but that last bit about the inevitability mm-hmm. of failure, if you read it that way, mm-hmm. it is really an interesting fatalistic condemnation mm-hmm. of the future of humanity in. Uh, a oh, world in this, in dominated this world. by in AI, this
1: yeah, in this, in this world, right?
0: Which mimics a lot of the fears we have today, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Doctor Falk, thank you for that uplifting ray of sunshine.
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I sense you're saying uplifting ray of sunshine as if uh, in an ironic way, but honestly, I did mean this as a kind of life-affirming because, because you can uh, ray of sunshine, huh? Because you can because, wait it out. Uh, yeah, because uh, I think that uh, PKD assumes that that the, the what yes, that in and that we, you know, in normal in normal circumstances, we should have the freedom. Everybody should have the freedom. To, they sh- Everyone should be allowed to wait it out. You know, and I- if we don't have that freedom, then I think PKD would say. Shouldn't we question why we don't have that freedom? Why are we not allowing it?
0: Not, not only that, I'm going to amend my sarcasm here and actually say, additionally, even if we no longer retain our humanity, it is still possible to act as a human. and there act is, like, to imitate. There, there right. is yes, optimism absolutely.
1: there. Yeah, absolutely. My... That That is exactly it.
0: Okay. Good place to it is an emotional roller coaster. Of an, episode an
1: emotional This is the emotional roller coaster episode.
0: Very. Well, this was good. I enjoyed this. I um, hope you guys did too. And um, yeah, let us know what you think.
1: All right. Thank you, Doctor Rapici. Appreciate
0: Th- it. Thank you, Doctor. Much appreciate it. Have, have a lovely day.
1: You too. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.